This is the Centerpoint Church Podcast, and I'm so thankful we get to spend some time together. My name's Jason, and we are approaching this Halloween season, so I thought it would probably be appropriate for us to start this collection called Scary Stories. There's a lot of weird, creepy, and sometimes freaky things in the Bible, and I want us to look at them each week. So let's jump right into the message. Good morning. If you're tuning in online, we're so thankful that you're here. Some of you have reached out already to me this morning, letting me know that you're watching. Uh, I'm so thankful for the people who serve in the production and in the sound and lights and all of that to make it possible for you guys to even tune in today. They're here very early, working throughout the week to make this experience. So I honor them. I'm thankful that you're here and everybody that's here in person. One more time, let's give up a shout of praise to God who calls you by name. Hearing that phrase should never get old. It should never get old. We are continuing this collection of talks called Scary Stories. Last week, we talked about the floating hand in Daniel chapter 5. This week, I'm really excited because I've never heard someone preach this message before. I'm sure somebody has, but I've never heard anybody preach it. It's about King Saul, and this message is subtitled, The Witch of Endor. That's a cool name right off the bat, the witch of Endor. It's not the witch of Endor. It's the witch of Endor. What we're going to do, thank you, that was good. What we're going to do today is we're going to be unpacking this story that's found in the Bible. It's a small little portion, and, and it kind of, it's, it's sandwiched between some major things, so you kind of overlook it, but it has some major ramifications And so I want to talk a little bit today about this idea of witchcraft, mediums, necromancy, Ouija boards. Is it legit? Is it not? How does the devil work through it? And what does God have to say about it? What what a pertinent story to go through in the month of October. Let me take you back in time to the glory days. Now, for those of you that don't know when the glory days were, it was 1988, and so some of you are laughing, and don't even bother with, I wasn't even born. I don't care when you were born. Some of you are like, I was already on Social Security in 1988. I, I care about you. But, but 1988, my first experience with this whole realm was this movie starring Tom Hanks called Big. Now, in the opening credits to this movie Big, he puts this quarter in, and there's this dude named Zoltar. And it was in this old arcade, and Zoltar would tell you your future, and he would grant you a wish. And I remember watching this. And Tom Hanks makes the huge mistake of wishing that he would be big or grown up. Never wish to be grown up or to get older than where you are now. Madison, do not wish to be older. The golden years aren't so golden, all right? So don't wish that. But that really kind of opened my eyes and got me interested about, like, is this real? Is this legit? Like, what are the things of the occult, and why am I interested in it? And so I'm not saying that this is a good thing, but I'm saying that this is worth looking at, because in 1 Samuel chapter 28 is where we're going to be hovering over today. We see King Saul. Now, let's dive right into the scripture, and then we'll pause it and come back and give it a little bit of context. So 1 Samuel 28, this is Saul, the first king of Israel, And we're going to pick up in verse 3. Now, Samuel was dead. 
What a great way to start off a verse. But that's important. You'll find out later. But Samuel is the prophet. That's how God spoke to people was through prophets. Now Samuel was dead, and all of Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. That's important. Underline that. Mentally take a note of that. The Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all of Israel and set up camp in Gilboa. When Saul Saul, say that five times fast, the Philistine army, he was afraid, terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, this is also important, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets, so other people that God speaks through. Saul then said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium so that I may go inquire of her. There is one in Indoor, they said. So that's what we're talking about. But, but we've got to know a little bit about Saul before we get there. So this is at the end of Saul's reign. Spoiler alert. In fact, there's only a few hours left of the life of King Saul. A man that at the beginning was so humble that when he was chosen to be the first king of Israel, he's like, who am I? But fast forward some time, and the pride of Saul has self-destructed him. Now, all of a sudden, instead of who am I, his posture is, don't you know who I am? And now, all of a sudden, instead of saying, I'll answer to who, whatever God tells me to do, whatever Yahweh says, his own pride is, I know that God said this, but this is probably a better idea. And what happened is that lifestyle took the anointing of God off of him and now placed it on David. So he's been without the anointing of God for a long time. There's, there's a little side note right here, a little leadership lesson. Just because someone's in leadership doesn't mean that God's anointing is on them anymore. And so he's sitting there right now without the anointing of God, meaning God no longer has his favor on him. Samuel was the prophet who he would speak to directly, but he didn't like what Samuel was telling him. So he did what lots of people do. When you tell them something they don't want to hear, they stopped asking and stopped listening. I was in student ministry for a long time, and, and I got this, I figured it out pretty early, that students are going to come to you, and, and before we just bring it down home on students, we adults are the same way. They would come to you when there was a crisis, and they would come back to you a second time as long as they liked what you had to say. But as soon as you start giving them sound biblical advice, or worse, if you call sin, sin in their life, you won't hear from them anymore because we only want what Malachi says our itching ears want to hear. And, and I think that Saul is the same way. After a while, he, he stopped listening to Samuel, stopped going to him for advice, and now Samuel's dead. And now he doesn't have anybody. Now he's desperate, and even worse, his old paranoia and pride ran off the greatest warrior that the kingdom of Israel had ever seen, David. So David's now gone, and not only that, he took his army with him. Not a good strategy because now you are surrounded by the Philistine army. And because of your own pride, your own paranoia, your own refusal to submit, now he's alone and he's desperate. And so what's he going to do? He's going to resort to something that he himself knows is sacrilege, that he himself knows 
is against what God directed. How do I know that he knows? Because he's the one that just a few years prior got rid of all of the mediums, people who could talk to the dead. He got rid of them himself, but my goodness, when we hit desperation, we end up going back to the areas that we know we shouldn't. And he's this way. So how do we know? If, if we go all the way back to Deuteronomy, I want you to hear what God told the children of Israel right before they went into the promised land. God takes some things very serious. We're in Deuteronomy 18. We'll come back to Samuel in a minute. When you enter the land of the Lord, the, the, your Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. Think about that word for a minute. That's a strong word. It's like disgusting, a gross taste, a gross smell, detestable to the Lord. Because these same detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. Why is that so important? Let's go back to the Levitical law. In Leviticus, Leviticus 28. I will also turn against those who commit spiritual prostitution. Again, strong words. By putting their trust in mediums. Underline that, that word, put in a phrase, putting their trusts, because we're going gonna to get to this at the very end of this message. This is the linchpin of why God takes this so serious. We're putting their trust in the mediums or those who consult the spirits of the dead. I will cut them off from the community. This is the Levitical law, the Mosaic law, putting it together. And, and at the beginning, God takes this very serious, this word of necromancy, which is contacting the dead. And, and, and Saul knew this, but yet in a moment of desperation, when he sees himself surrounded by the army and he doesn't get the answer from God when he wants it, he reverts back to the very thing that got the people in this mess in the first place. Now, now this story has some ramifications because God clearly takes this serious. So if it was like this side hustle, like this routine, this, this facade, this fake, the words of Scripture would be very different. But from the beginning, we see that God takes this serious. And if he takes it serious, I want to know why. I want to know why. I don't think he's just, it, it falls in the same category as somebody walking around selling magic elixir that will be a cure-all. I think that there's some power in this. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. And so this is a spiritual realm that's going on all around us that we, you and I, are ignorant to most of the time. I want to tell you a little bit about my grandma. I remember when I was, golly, I was probably third or fourth grade playing with some neighborhood kids down the street. And I remember going down there, and we were in their living room, and I remember them taking out this thing called a Ouija board. Will you show that picture? Now, for those of you that have no idea, we're going to actually hover over this for just a moment because I find this interesting. And I remember going down the street to these people's houses. They take out this board, and it looked weird. It looked, I, I didn't really get it. And I remember them telling me, this is a way that we can talk 
the demons. Now, me, when I hear this now, knowing what I know now and seeing the things that I have over my time in ministry, I know at that moment I should be like, there's nothing about that that sounds exciting at all. I've shared this in messages before, but there was a time in my life where I prayed that God would allow me to see the demonic realm, and after seeing it, I, I realized how foolish that is. There's nothing that is intriguing about it whatsoever. In fact, it's terrifying. But I remember thinking, okay, that sounds cool. Now, I went home and told my grandma about this thing called a Ouija board. Now, big mistake. <laughs> But I want to tell you a little bit about it because some of you, you, you may not be aware of this. It's still sold today. You could buy it on Amazon right now. And I encourage you not to. But if for some reason you're going to, make sure you go to the Centerpoint Smile Amazon account so, so we get some money. My grandma was telling me about the history of the Ouija board because she grew up with her parents in a very religious home. But at the time, they had no idea this was kept on the, the shelf in the pantry, like next to Monopoly. And this was just a part of what they had. And so, so let me tell you a little bit of history on this. The Ouija board uh, became popular right after the Civil War, right before 1900, or right after the Civil War, I mean. And so you had the world that was lamenting the death of all of these Americans in the Civil War. And you have, you know, wives and children whose dads never came home you have people who died with because the, the health care couldn't keep up with the amount of casualties. And there were these two sisters in upstate New York who they, they lived in a home and they said that they heard this all the time. In their home. And so what do you think? One of two things. Apparently demons speak Morse code. No, but, but the thing is, there's something wrong with the house. And so these two sisters, who, by the way, were engaged in the occult, then went to a, another person's house and stayed there for a while. And, and then in that house, for the first time since they had been there, they hear, they hear this. So dramatic. I love it. But, but they go to this other house. They, they find the same knocking. And so they realize that there's somebody or something trying to communicate with just them. And the person who came up with the Ouija board supposedly was going to make them out of wood that was left over from making caskets, coffins. And believe it or not, this was patented. It received a patent as a legitimate game. And it was promoted as if a way to unlock the unknown. And so, could they communicate with the dead? Is it real? We're going to get to that, but just not yet. But I want to tell you this, that God apparently takes this very serious. Now, I know there was a lot of laws back then, but God spends so much real estate in Scripture early on, warning them of the nations that go into mediums, spiritists, necromancy, and unlocking this demonic realm. And I want to tell you that this demonic realm exists. Whether you choose to be an ostrich or not, it exists. And I think we need to be careful when we open a door of what we are allowing into that door, into your homes. And it may not be a board. 
It may be through your television. It may be through your phone. It may be through who you invite into your house. These things exist whether you choose to believe them or not. Let's go back to Saul because now Saul is about to go visit the witch of Endor. Verse 8. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes, and, and at night he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. And now, this is a little scary for the witch of Endor because she knows this is illegal, punishable by death. If you have to disguise yourself before you engage in an activity, that should let you know that maybe you shouldn't be doing that. God really convicted me about five years ago for the TV shows I was watching because I had to wait till my wife and kids went to bed before I watched it. If you've got to hide what you're doing until the, pe until the people around you can't see, that should be a red flag that maybe it's worth considering are your actions of God. But the woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? She's basically like, what if you're an undercover cop? Verse 10, Saul swore to her by the Lord. That at that point should show you how decrepit his spiritual life has become. As surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Then the woman asked, whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel. Desperate. Bring up Samuel. Now, this is the part that's interesting. Now, I understand that this is a heavy topic, so I have a very lighthearted stage prop because I want you to remember this. I want you to see this. So for a moment, I'm going to be playing the part of the Witch of Endor. I know what you're thinking. I look stupid. And you're wrong. So, I've got my witch hat on, all right? And I have um, Mr. Predicto's Magic 8-Ball. Now, for those of you that have no idea what a magic eight ball is, I'm not going to tell you that it's demonic, okay? Are you taking a picture? If you're going to take a picture, just, just do it right. Ready? Go ahead. All right. I don't like attention. So I have this witch hat on. I have Mr. Predicto. It's like an orb. Uh, if you like Lord of the Rings like me and you spend a lot of Friday nights alone, you know that this could be a lost scene stone, a palantir, if you will, if you have no idea what that means. <laughs> oh, I'm such a nerd. All right. So I want you to envision this, though. This is the reality. Oh, by the way, Magic 8 Ball. So you ask your questions, and then you shake it, and it gives you the answer. All right. Now, I'm not saying it's demonic. I used to ask it all the time. Am I going to be rich and famous and a supermodel? No. Okay, forget this. It's junk. No. But, but let me tell you how mediums often work. Mediums are people who are fluid, people who are clear, people who can speak to the dead realm. How does it work? Here's how it normally works, one of two ways. 
The first way is it's all a hoax. These people are master manipulators that can read people, that can sense that you're wounded because you're usually desperate or wounded if you would go to a medium of some sort, tarot cards, any of those things. And they can read off of your energy, read off of particular words and your body language when they say certain phrases. That's how a lot of them work. But then I also think this, that there are some truths we see throughout Scripture that a lot of the people who are in the demonic realm do have some sort of power here on earth. I think about when Moses threw his staff down and it turned into a snake and it ate the other snakes. It doesn't say that the other false prophets and priests, that theirs didn't actually turn into a snake. It said it did. That changes some things. So I think that often when you, I got to take this off. I'm sorry. Hold on. Hair still look good? Of course it does. Sorry about that. I'm going to preach on humility next week. But for this week, man, my hair looks good. All right. Here it is. I think that when you go, you unlock the demonic realm when you go to this and you, and you actually seek this out. And I think that what you are actually, ha- what is happening is you are not speaking to your dead Aunt Myrtle. I think you are speaking to a demon who is deceiving you into thinking that it is your dead Aunt Myrtle. Now, how does that demon know about your dead Aunt Myrtle? Because the demons have been around since before humans. So they remember your dead Aunt Myrtle. And they remember the facts about her life. And remember what she was like because they watched you and watched her. And they also know that you're going through this difficult season. They also know what information, because you verbalized it, that you're going to look for. So I think very, very much you, if you ever went to a medium, are actually talking to a demonic being who is deceiving you, the great deceiver. Because Satan only has limited power. He's kind of like a dog in your yard that you have like that electric fence around. Like, yeah, the dog can bark and it can run around a little bit, but only within the parameters you set. Satan only has power within the parameters that God set. God is the one that put that invisible fence around what Satan can do. And Satan doesn't have the ability to read your mind. And he doesn't have the ability to pull people out. See, at this time, Samuel would have been in Sheol. He would have been in this resting place. So, he says, bring up Samuel. You want to find out what happens? That was rhetorical. Of course you do. But Patty, thank you for the encouragement. All right, verse 12 This part's important. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said, Saul, said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. Now I'm guessing that her spidey sense is tingling because she knows that now there's a death sentence. The king said to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? You can hear the desperation. All right, all right, come on, come on, come on. Get to the stuff. I'm not going to hurt you. Get to the stuff. The woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming up from the earth. What does he look like, he asked. The old man wearing a robe is coming up. Then Saul knew it. He knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. There's a painting of this scene. If you'll put that up for a moment. This is a famous painting called The Witch of Endor. And this is going to show you kind of an idea of at least what the artist was expecting. During this now, now here's 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 the reality. Is there's two different arguments with this story, 
And I'm not going to be audacious enough to stand up here and tell you this is what it means. What I'm going to do is what I think my job is, is to present you with what multiple people use to interpret Scripture, and you study it, and you come up with it. All right? And it's honestly split right down the middle. Some people say that this is legit. It was legitimately Samuel that was brought up, and this is him. And there's a few indicators as to why this is, could be legitimately Samuel. And, and, and here's one. If you go back to verse 12, when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice. But what this does in the, in the Hebrew, it actually gives you, it emphasizes this idea of almost surprise, like alarm. Like it's almost like she says, oh, but it worked. <laughs> How'd it work? Why'd it work? Now I'm going to die. And, and, and I think that if this was deceiving, she had done this for a long time. She had a reputation in the land. And I don't think that this, if this was part of the shtick, it would have surprised her. I think it would have probably just got along with, with what she had always done. The other thing is this, is that she doesn't actually seem to know it is Samuel until she asks Saul. She said an old man in a robe. That could have been anybody. An old man in a robe. But Saul recognizes it immediately. Now, the reason that some people say that it couldn't have happened is because this kind of goes against what some things in Scripture are. Because I know that Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's in the New Covenant. But if we go back to the Old Covenant, I referenced Sheol already. And that it doesn't seem to be within the realm of what God does to take somebody who's deceased and bring them back alive for any reason. We've seen people not die. We've seen people live hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. We've seen maybe Moses and Elijah. But this is a little different. Because if God did want to bring a message to Saul, why would he go through a medium to do it? Why would he go through any other way that he's always spoken to, to men and women? And here's the thing. If you had to ask me, Jason, which one do you think, I would tell you, I don't really know. <laughs> I'm just like you. But, but what I can tell you is based upon what I have read, where I am right now on this day, is that the Bible appears as if it's legit. It doesn't have words like it appeared like Samuel or appeared as if it was Samuel. And so when in doubt on how to interpret Scripture, always go literal, unless it gives you good reason why not to. And so I see from here and just from studying it that it's a literal interpretation so I'm going to take the Bible literal. But I do want to just let you know that theologians are split on if it's real or if it's not. But I think there's a bigger picture, and we're going to get to it at the end, whether it's legitimately Samuel or not. Let's go to verse 15. Before we get to verse 15, just, just I want to, if you're taking notes, write Acts chapter 16 down. Acts chapter 16. I love the hearing of, of clicking of pens. If you're not a note taker, man, start being a note taker because you're going to leave and forget everything except for me wearing that stupid hat. Acts 16 is when Paul encounters the young girl that can tell the future, the young girl that can give prophecy, and, and, and Paul actually gets the demon out of her, and the people are mad because they made a lot of money off of her telling the future. And so we also see this in the New Testament of this idea of demonic presence being able to tell the future. So go back and study Acts chapter 16. But let's go back to 1 Samuel 28 verse 15. And let's find out what Samuel says to Saul. Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I am in great distress, Saul said. 
This Philistines are fighting against me, and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? That's a huge phrase right there. The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David. Verse 18, because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow your sons will be with me. It's not exactly what he was probably looking for. He probably was looking for some advice that said, you know, go buy Park Place and then pass go and collect $200. Instead, Samuel is very Samuel when he's telling him, not only is it too late, but you and your sons will be with me shortly. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone. For he had eaten, eaten nothing all day and all night. Now, now, we're approaching the runway in this message. We're about done. But there's a few things that I want us to understand that are some big points. The first one is this. There's some really scary stuff in the Bible. I don't understand when people read the Bible and they're like, man, I just found it so boring. I'm like, really? It's a floating hand. There's the witch of Endor. There's necromancy. Like, this stuff's interesting. The other thing is, is we've spent some time warning you of the demonic realm. It's no joke. Satan does not sleep, and he devises ways to ruin the lives of you, your marriage, your children, your grandchildren, your ministry. How do we combat that? Prayer, sanctification. The other one is this, and this is what I think the big picture, the big takeaway is on all of this. God cares much more about you trusting him and your relationship with him than he does about answering your prayers on the timeline that you think they should be answered. Do you hear that? So what we have with Saul is his actions, his decisions, his pride had got him into a place of desolation, and he wanted a quick fix now quick fix. So what did he try to do? He tried to circumnavigate the timing and the will of God because he wanted the answer so he could learn how to beat the Philistine army when his decisions got him there in the first place. Two days ago, I had the talk with my oldest daughter that all fathers dread. It's not the one you think of. No, come on now. That's just basic anatomy. That's the easy talk. Here's the difficult talk. That joke was funnier when I practiced this in front of my dog yesterday. But <laughs> my dog got saved and even tithed. It's great. I, the, the conversation of my daughter asked when she can start dating. And I was like, say what? Nine years old. She's like, well, kids in my class are dating. And I'm like, how? Is that even possible? She says, so so. When's a good time for me to start dating? Never! You ever heard of Rapunzel? That's your future. No. But she asked that. 
when, when can I start dating? And I said, I don't know. Ask your mom. No, I don't know. But it's at least 16. I mean, you got a ways to go. At least. And she said, why? Now, here's the thing. How exactly am I going to explain that in a way that a nine-year-old is going to understand what's the difference between them now and when they're 16, 17, 18, 30, 35, 40, whenever she starts dating? How do I explain that? Because in her nine-year-old mind, she has a limited capacity of what life is and what needs to transpire to get there and what I'm trying to protect her from. Now, there's a deep theological truth in this. You and I, when wanting to know what the will of God is, we will always choose the easy way, the quick way, the fast way, the path of least resistance, but that's not how God works. God wants you in the waiting season to trust him. We will always choose the fast answer. And what Saul did here is he tried to bypass the process. The process of not knowing what God's answer is going to be and not knowing what your future tomorrow holds, but saying, I'm all in and I trust you and I trust that you know what's better for me and that you know what the future version of Jason is going to look like. The same way that my daughter has to trust some things that I say she's not ready for yet. Now to her, it may be, dad doesn't ever let me do anything. He's just trying to take away the fun. All the other kids are doing it. It's the same strategy that Satan used in the garden when he tried to convince Adam and Eve that God was a taker, that he's trying to hide this good stuff from you. He doesn't want you to have this when it was all about trust. So what Saul did by going to the witch of Endor is tell God, even to the very end, I still don't trust you. I still think I know the better way. And instead, hours later, it would end in suicide and the death of his sons. A pathetic ending to a sad story of someone who could not trust God. But what does this have to do with you? Everything. What are you praying for? You've been praying for a healing of a diagnosis? Have you been praying for a son or a grandson or a daughter who is living a wayward lifestyle and you've been praying and you're about to give up? Are you wondering why you're not getting that promotion? Why you're not making more money? Why you haven't climbed the corporate ladder? Why God isn't answering these things that you've been praying for? Trust the process. Try to bypass the process of God. What it does is this. It calls his character into question. It is saying, I trust you in some things, but not in others. You've got to remember that God cares about your relationship with him above it all. Way more than he cares about your promotion, your money, your circumstance. He cares about all those things. No detail is too small for God. But he will not skip through the process and get you what you want right away if it's not what's best for you. What kind of father would I be if I said, you know what? All right, fine. You've asked me enough. You've annoyed me. I'm going to let you start dating at nine years old. Here's the keys to the car. That sounds ludicrous, right? 
but we ask for God to do this. God, hurry up. Come on, I need it. I've been praying for it. I need it. Come on. Why didn't you answer it this way? You're a vending machine, man. I put money in the tithe plate. I hit F9. What I asked for should fall down. But that's not how it works. And that's not how you want it to work. Because his ways are above your ways. Do you trust God with the process? It will not be the path of least resistance. But I don't know about you, but I am thankful that throughout my time I can look back and say, I'm so thankful that God didn't give that to me or didn't give it to me when I asked for him to because there was a better way. I would never be here today if God answered my prayers. There was even a season in my marriage where we wouldn't be where we are today if we didn't go through that difficult refining period. And I was praying, God, just get us out of this. Just reset it. Just fix it. Just get her to forgive me and let's just move on. Pretend like it never happened. And God said, no, 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 no. There's a process to this. Do you trust me that I want your marriage to work? Do you trust me that I'm trying to refine you and sanctify you into a man of God that I can use one day when you get rid of this pride? Trust the process. So you may not go to a medium to try to find the will of God, but I think what this looks like in our life is we stop praying for it. We give up, and we try to go solve the problem ourselves instead of waiting to see what God wants to do. So I hope during our time today that you can recalibrate your heart with God's will and your trust in Him and realize that even if you trust God with 99.99999% of your life, you don't trust God. Do you believe that He cares for you? Do you believe that He loves you? Do you believe that He wants what's best for you? Do you believe that He's seen who you're going to be? He's going to take you through the process to get you there. Do you believe that? And I want an all-in lifestyle, God. I trust you. I trust you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your living word. And uh, I thank you, God, just that even now, thousands and thousands of years later, it still speaks to us, God, about who you are, your character, what's important to you, God. And Lord, that you want to get us to the version that you see of ourselves, God. May we lean into that today and throughout this week. May this be a start of something, God, that we got confirmation today through your word to keep praying, to keep trusting, to keep believing, to get up and do it again. Lord, I love you. I praise you. And I would do anything for you and all God's people say, amen. We really enjoyed spending some time with you today. If this message impacted you in any way, let us know. We want to hear your story. You can contact us at centerpointtn.com. We can't wait to hear from you.